Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush, here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down at the Amway Center in Orlando, Florida. Headlined by a welterweight bout between Stephen Wonderboy Thompson and Kevin Holland. And a uh, really pretty decent, fun fight night card for the UFC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I almost, uh, <clears throat> I was sick a few days ago. I was worried I was going to miss this one. Would have ended the year having uh, having had to cover what turned out to be Kudalaba versus Njetjewu. <laughs> the fight night and missing this, which is a uh, really top to bottom, a pretty damn good fight night card. Yeah. I was t- just talking to our producer before the show started that I think one of the, I mean, it's one of the things that we forget because the UFC, when they're running at the apex, it's really clear that they're just like, yeah, whatever filler we have, we need to get done this week or this month where mm-hmm. that's going in the apex. But here they are actually traveling to another city once again, which I thought they'd be doing a lot more of by this point. But um, true, they they really <laughs> kind of have some inertia at the apex. Yeah, well, I, I think uh, one of the the big. I mean, I don't know. It's it's weird because like if you'd asked me during the pandemic, I, I was like, oh, why would the UFC ever leave the apex? It's super cheap to run. They don't have to like go deal with other athletic commissions. They don't, you know, more. I don't know how far along this is, but at some point, they're not even going to have to deal with like travel accommodation or anything like that because they're going to make their own hotel there to house all the fighters in. And so at some point, like, it really is just one of those things like, oh, sure, you don't get gate, you don't get uh, tickets to sell really, but it is so cheap and easy that why would you ever leave it? Um, they even have their own TV production studio there. But at the same time, you know, once Dana, Dana White has kept beating this drum of like, no, we're going to go back on the road. The UFC travels. That's what we are. I mean, you know, what's a circus if it doesn't travel? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it just hasn't really happened. So here we are. But here we are in Orlando. And once again, on the road with tickets to sell, the UFC's put together a really fun card. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I really so, can't complain about it too much. No, it's got a good main event. It's got. And I'll uh, try. Okay, well, I'm glad. I'm glad that you have not been laid too low by your illness. <laughs> Trust me, illness will not be the thing that robs me of my God-given <laughs> talent for complaining. <laughs> never, never. I'd have to get rich for that to. You yeah. know who am I kidding? Even though. yeah, I was gonna say you're gonna be a you'd be a whiny you'd be a whiny rich man and you'll be a whiny ghost. I'll tell you one thing though, Zane. I uh, I did yeah. uh, during my the you know the throes of my fever. I did watch the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yeah, yeah. And um, ever since the last depressed us that we did, I could not take the Lion Gondor calls for aid seriously. <laughs> It made me laugh. I used to love that scene. Uh, now it is essentially to this dramatic sequence sweeping over these mountains as the beacons are being lit. It essentially ends with a punchline. So, I'm glad to you know I ruined something for you. 
Uh, so anyway, Thompson anyway. Hall. It is a good card. It's a good card. It's got a good, well, well-crafted main card, and then it's got a ton of prelims that like are really they're just well booked and, and interesting fights. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and dive into it since we've got fifteen fights to cover here. Mm. And uh, jump in here on our main event, Stephen Thompson, Kevin Holland. And um, that's the first thing. Too many fights. Yeah. You know, I got a real problem with this. <laughs> so, um, yeah, a, a, a very, I mean, this is fight night material right here. Yeah. It, there, I have too many questions about this main event for it to be a main event of any larger card. Sure. But it's definitely interesting enough to main event something. Yeah. Like this is it is the kind of featured fight that makes perfect sense on a card Absolutely. like this, where you know, you've got two well known, fun, interesting fighters. Uh, you know, Thompson, I, I realize there may be those who argue against that designation for Thompson, but Oh come on. He's he's matchup dependent, but Stephen Thompson has turned in many thrillingly fun fights. Yeah, and, and yeah. he's had like like two or three stinkers against um, fighters with a similar predilection for boring long range fights when the other guy doesn't make a move. Yeah, um, against pretty much every other style in the division that isn't like Darren Till or Tyron Woodley. Yeah, like are you really going to blame Stephen Thompson for Tyron Woodley having a boring fight? No. Um, yeah, I'm I'm a longtime Stephen Thompson defender. I think the guy is a, a brilliant MMA fighter. I mean, Phil was just saying to me the other day that, like, under slightly different circumstances, uh, Stephen Thompson really could have been welterweight champion. Oh, sure. Absolutely. He's, you know, and he's clearly past his prime now. That's one of the question marks on this matchup. Mm-hmm. He's slowing down. He's getting out-wrestled by uh, dudes who are um, not even always as good as the wrestlers he was previously just stuffing with ease. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are cracks starting to show, but in his prime, this guy was a truly top-flight MMA fighter. Yeah, I'm best kickboxer ever in MMA. I think that's right. Yeah, more kickboxing world championships than even Israel Adesanya, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, really Alex humble. Pereira, eat that, you know. <laughs> so. Um, I have immense respect for Stephen Thompson, and I also think that um, if I if I didn't have concerns about his age, um, which are not decisive yet, I don't yeah. think, like. I, I don't really know what the effects are. I don't know that him getting out wrestled really means this is the kind of mat like the guy, yeah. people who outstrike Stephen Thompson are pretty few and far between in MMA. It's really only happened once. Twice, maybe. I mean, when has it happened? It, it it really only it happened. Matt Brown. Well, I mean Anthony Pettis, but Anthony Pettis wasn't. Anthony Pettis got outstruck by him and then knocked him out. Yeah. I mean, I guess that can happen. That may happen here. I mean, that may be the likeliest outcome if as we come to find. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, no one has really ever comprehensively outstruck Stephen Thompson in this sport. Yeah, and. Um, but yeah, the 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 age and wear and tear is the question mark, really. Because mm-hmm. if if he were younger, if it was even just three years ago, two years ago, I think I would pick him without question. Yeah, to, to beat Kevin Holland, especially yeah. welterweight Kevin Holland, who yes looks way more powerful and confident in that power 
than he did as a middleweight. Um, but who also looks, in my opinion, kind of like shit. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. I haven't seen any good boxing out of Kevin Holland at welterweight, have you? Not really, no. He seems to be falling back more. I mean, I think part maybe part of it is that he's not faster than anyone at welterweight. So all you know like you know he he has a fight with uh his fights with um Alex Oliveira and Tim mm-hmm. Means and suddenly what used to be points where he you know even like, even against somebody like uh Joaquin Buckley where he could just sort of sit on his reach and hit people with really clean one twos and skate away or mm-hmm. throw a really wild heavy counter like he wanted he often wants to do when he gets backed up and then you know have that to be enough for him to be able to exit on an angle or clinch up or do something else to turn away the pressure of the fight Mm -hmm. now he's got guys who just can match him for speed in those moments and he keeps getting hit by them like there's no yeah, we're not seeing a lot of control Kevin Holland where he can actually be the slick striker outside. It's more having to be the the version of him that that thrives in chaos. Yeah, which is kind of his base style as you, Yeah, uh, as you alluded, but uh, I also think we haven't really seen much desire to be a slick fighter. I mean, I I think he yeah. feels like he can crack people. Yeah, that might also be it, too, is that now being the big guy in his division, it's just like, oh, well, now I'm going to be a knockout puncher. Yeah, I think he feels like he can bully people in a Mm -hmm. way that, yeah, he he definitely couldn't, uh, even against the smaller dudes at middleweight, like they were at least at some kind of physical parity. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, I mean, like that type of fighter, I would absolutely take Stephen Thompson to pick him apart and even though Kevin Holland and this is an important part of his style, is inhumanly tough, mm-hmm. possibly knock him out, or at least drop him a few times, yeah. like like he did to Jorge Masvidal, like really hurt him and beat him up. I, I would expect that Thompson, even if Thompson wins this fight, I don't think he's going to knock Holland out, just because yeah. Holland, he does thrive so much in, in the chaos moments of fights. Yeah. That, you know, because for Thompson, his 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 best knockout delivering performances tend to be where he like you know he's picking people off with ones and twos and staying pretty consistent and mm-hmm. on his base style at range not taking any big chances and then if he hurts somebody he can do that sort of like machine gun yeah, you know yeah, yeah, yeah. combination that he does bowling forward to try and put them away and that's those are the kind of moments where Holland is most likely to return something really dangerous yeah absolutely so, you know, even if he does hurt Holland, I think it'll probably come with a immediate note of caution. I shouldn't run in and follow this up on this guy because right. he might hurt his back. Yeah, but I would expect him to stagger him, to, sure, to bust sure. him up. I mean, you know, like he did yeah. to Masvidal and Luke A. And, yeah. Um, you know, most people who can, can are, are content to sit at range with him for 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, now it's like, is Kevin Holland just going to run in there and immediately just dust him? I don't know. Is Stephen Thompson's reaction time that faded? Is the fact that, like, again, full respect to Bilal Muhammad. No, no one who knows me would ever say I don't love and admire Bilal Muhammad. <laughs> but uh, 
Like, is Bilal Muhammad that dominant a wrestler that he could just instantly and repeatedly crack Stephen Thompson's wrestling defense, which has been really strong throughout his career? It suggests something is off about his reaction time, his cage craft. Yeah, that I I will admit that was very much a fight where watch I watched it and I'm like, man, there does seem to be a step missing from Thompson. Yeah. He didn't look entirely not there. He was yeah. he was still pulling the trigger. I mean, once he once he fell behind, he was like he came out the start of the next two rounds like firing mm-hmm. um, you know, trying to back Muhammad off. I mean, uh, I think it did show and and why I I I I think I may make the stupid choice and still pick Steven here. Mm-hmm. That uh it it did show that like his actual A game, the 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 pool he's comfortable swimming in is still pretty comfortably warm for him because yeah i uh, mean as long as he wasn't like thinking about the wrestling he looked more or less like steven thompson and and we even you know that fight against jeff neal was not that long ago no no and he schooled neal like that was just a pure yeah like i i am out here ahead of you and there's nothing you can do to catch up performance from thompson yeah so the question is really is like how yeah how long of a tail does uh, Stephen Thompson's A game have yeah. after his prime? I mean the man has probably been post his real athletic prime for like six years now. Mm-hmm. He's thirty nine, um, and he's been fighting forever. I mean, granted, yeah. not not against like a lot of very good punchers or whatever, but <laughs> you know he was in American kickboxing or whatever they call sure. it. Sure. Sure, but I mean, even in MMA, he's 12 years into his MMA. Yeah, career. absolutely. So, I, I don't know. I mean, I, uh, but yeah, but my concern is that he might even just be winning the fight and that uh, Kevin Holland just does what Anthony Pettis did. Mm-hmm. And I actually have more faith in Kevin to do that because that's just what he's been doing lately. It's what he, like, seems to expect to happen. And he knows he can wreck people with one shot now. Yeah. And, I mean, it is worth noting, too, that, like... You know, even Darren Till doesn't have anywhere near as long a reach as Kevin Holland. Like, this is... That's true, wow. The rangiest fighter, by far, that Thompson has ever fought. But God, do his entries lately not take advantage of that reach. They really don't. Just leaping, lunging, stumbling. Yeah. He's got six inches on on Thompson, but... That's crazy. The man's got some long arms. He does. I mean, if there's ever a good argument for him to still be at, at a middleweight, it's that, you know, he's got an 81-inch reach on a uh, six-foot-three six frame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does you know what? I'm gonna trust my gut on this and go with Holland. Mm-hmm. Just because, yeah, I look at the base the base style matchup and think and and look at Kevin Holland's entries recently and like his chasing footwork and some of the the ways that he's been trying to get aggressive at welterweight. And it is it is one of those things where I look, you look at it and you're like Thompson can deal with this, like. Right. He is one of the most consistent guys to deal with these kinds of problems. If you just have some, if you have a battle of range and footwork, Thompson is going to win it. Yeah. And unlike Tim Means, an equally skilled striker. Yeah. Thompson isn't just doomed to have a pocket exchange with you if that, if you, if that's what you want to force. Yeah. 
You know, he can he can hit you and get back out and get to the side. He can evade those kinds of fights. Mm-hmm. So, but I'm I with that kind of reach in play and with like the amount of danger that that Holland can provide on the mats as well. Like, I don't know that he's going to force a wrestling, you know. It would be funny. It would be funny. Well, the funny, like, there was a version of Kevin Holland several years back who did wrestle regularly in his fights. (laughs) And then he blamed his opponents for it. And then he would blame his opponents for making him do (laughs) that. Like, why would you make me do this? Um, Why did you make me lose to you on the ground? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but it was it was definitely a part of his game that he employed and you know but even that like even assuming he doesn't wrestle and doesn't want to if he just can hurt Hall or if he can hurt Thompson a little if he can force a clinch like he's he's a very dangerous grappler still too you know sure there's a chance for him to, you know, like, uh, like in the Tim Means fight, you know, it wasn't really like some amazing takedown that got him that submission win. He just was able to hurt Means and then wrap him up in the transition. Mm-hmm. So. I can absolutely see something like that happening for him too. I'll take the chance on Holland, but it does. It, it is a fight that I would previously have picked Thompson to win pretty regularly. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna. Um, I I think all that sounds right. It's kind of my instinct. I, I'm gonna pick Stephen Thompson, and I'll tell you why. I've yeah. already been burned and refused to admit it by Cheeto Vera. Mm-hmm. You know, Phil turned on him. Because, uh, you know, here's this little weirdo, dysfunctional game, you know, my kind of fighter. Yeah. Turns out he's like Romero. He's like a freak. (laughs) He's Mm -hmm. like a freak who could just go in there and tank damage and crush people with ease whenever he feels like it. Not the kind of guy I'm supposed to be rooting for. Not my brand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kevin, though. You know, you change weight classes, you drop down a weight class, that's instantly a, a mark against you. Mm. you. You you drop the, like, shades of technique that you had, that's a mark against you. And then you go in there and you're just, like, suddenly now minus eight pounds. You're also, like, a welterweight Romero. You just start blasting people's heads off <laughs> without a care in the world. I'm mad at Kevin for this. Sure. He's betrayed me. But hey, at least you have Roman Delizzi to root for. <laughs> this is this has been a big character development. <laughs> I'm not yet ready to accept Roman, but obviously these are the last desperate throws of resistance before I, we become best friends. Yeah, yeah. Kevin Holland, meanwhile, I'm starting to find out that maybe our bond didn't run as deep as I thought. Yeah. All and right. so I'm picking Stephen Thompson. <sighs> Odds on the fight. Holland is the favorite. Opened at minus 110, currently down at minus 160. Thompson opened at minus 110, currently up at plus 131. That brings us to our co-main event, Brian Barbarena, Rafael Dos Anjos. I was just talking about this the other day on Twitter. It's really kind of impressive that Brian Barbarena has turned himself into... 
a high-level opponent for, like, notable welterweights mm. without ever having actually been a prime welterweight himself, you know? Like, yeah, I mean, it's kind of natural. He's been on the cusp. He's essentially, he's like a, a this is kind of a role that exists uh, very temporarily a lot of the times, like a reverse yeah. gatekeeper. Yeah. The guy who sticks around in the fringes for ages, and then it's like, well, who else do we, like, give these old dudes to? How yeah. about the old action, the, like, almost as shot action fighter who was never quite top 15? Yeah. Top it's, it, it, it's very honey, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. But it, I mean, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it, it's, it's not what I would have. I don't know. I, I, I'm a little surprised. It's not like you know, Barbarina has. He's never had enough success to be like, oh, this is you know, this is an elite dude on the on the rise. He's just been so much fun for so long. Yeah, yeah. That now, uh, you know, dudes looking for a rebound fight. This is the kind of fight they want. Because I was also. Mm-hmm. Made me think about the two. I think, you know, obviously, if you ask them all for like numbers and cents and dollars and what what they'd want out of a fight, most of them wouldn't admit it so readily. But I think there are a fair number of fighters who would rather lose a thrilling war than barely eke out a horrible grinding decision where they just get held on the cage the whole time. Sure. Well, at least it feels like you got a chance. Yeah. 100%. But I mean, even if they win, even if they win the grinding decision where their opponent just holds them on the fence the whole time. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. They would rather they would rather go into a thrilling war that they might that they have a, a good chance of losing because the fight will be so much fun and fans will love it. And fighters want to have entertaining fights. Like they want certain fight like Robbie Lawler. Yeah. Robbie does not want to be held against the cage, even if he's winning. We know he exactly. hates it. Yeah. Reviles it. You know what? I'm actually going to, I'm going to disagree slightly. I'm looking back at Brian Barbarina's UFC career. Uh-huh. This dude's been fighting and if not beating, then like really showing up against very good fighters for quite oh. some time. Some yeah. of this has changed in retrospect. Like we didn't necessarily know Leon Edwards was going to be, the guy who, you know, easily beat Kamara Usman to win the title, <laughs> clearly the best welterweight on the planet. Yeah. Back when Barbarena like staggered him in the third mm-hmm. round of their fight twenty seventeen. But uh, I mean he is the guy who beat Sage and Northcutt three fights into his career. That was a meet you know, functionally meaningless but um reputationally meaningful win. Mm-hmm. Fight with Worley Alves, who had a little shine at the time, was looked at as kind of a prospect. And then has, you know, crazy fight with Vicente Luque. I mean, that was certainly a cred-earning fight, even if he yeah. lost. Like, the dude has been... He's been fighting these guys basically his whole UFC career. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm just... Like I say, it's it's just kind of... He's still here. Yeah, he's still here, and he's getting, like... More, you know, he's he's yeah. getting RDA and Robbie Lawler. He's getting these guys... Yeah, yeah. You know, he's getting booked in the kind of fights that a lot of other fighters can't get booked in. it's true it's that it is crazy that now it's like three in a row like legends fights yeah exactly Matt Brown, robbie lawler rda yeah all of which is to preamble to be to say this is the one he's losing um yeah probably right yeah because the the law you know i've been worried for a while 
about Barbarena uh, ever since that uh, Jason Witt fight. Really in degrees since the Luke fight, I think we've suspected he's been slipping in the wit fight. Was... Yeah. The, the wit fight was really the point though, where my own yeah. paranoia became a like, oh, no, 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 there's a problem here. Yeah. <laughs> and the fights since then haven't really done a lot to alleviate it. They've showed, oh. th- they've showed that his resilience is still there, that he's not breakable yet. Mm hmm. But he still just gets hurt a lot. Mm-hmm. And it was mostly down to the, you know, how far can he go without breaking this quality that he's maintained that he beat Robbie Lawler? Because Lawler spent a, a good solid round of that fight teeing off on him mm-hmm. before the fact that, you know, Barbarina was just throwing four punches for every two Lawler threw. Mm-hmm. Just became a, overwhelming to Lawler. Um, the thing is, is that RDA had it, 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 like Barbarina is not a power puncher. He, he's developed better boxing technique over his career, but he still always has to be a volume guy. He has to. He's got some snap. I mean, he has cleaned yeah. a few clocks with that left hook in particular, but but it's it's never yeah a one. It's never he's never been a one punch knockout fighter. Correct. And I don't think he's about to become more of one. You know, if anything, I would say that over the last few years that ha- that snap has gotten less and less. Yeah. Yeah, Even as his technique, I think, is is getting cleaner. His ability to really sit down and do damage in the pocket is lower. Mm-hmm. Um, and then RDA has valves that he can he has release valves. If if Barbarina keeps trying to push a pace, RDA can pressure like R- Lawler had no trouble at all pressuring right Barbarina and pushing him against the cage, and then. Uh, beating him up once they got there it was just you know Lala doesn't want to wrestle and when he does it, when whenever he does use it it's you can tell it's at a moment of profound discomfort it's like, not even just the wrestling although I, I, I totally agree with the direction you're going in it's like Lawler literally just wants to fight in boxing in mid-range yeah. <laughs> these it. days he is he only has one kind of fight he wants to he have. He didn't. He didn't have a long range. He didn't even jab his way in. He just walked up on Barbarina, which is still a sign that I think RDA is going to win. That he was able to do that, but he just walked up on Barbarina with his hands up. Yep. And and like waited for him to throw and tried to aggressively counter him. Like no feints, no jabs, just getting into middle boxing distance. Yep. And yeah, RDA has kicks. He has wrestling. He has, he has a bunch of stuff that he's happy to do. Yeah, he has and options, it, and he loves yeah. to cycle through his options. Yeah, and the people that are beating uh, Dos Anjos tend to be able to, you know, to change the dynamic of the fight in <clears throat> in big ways quickly. Yeah. And Barbarina can't. And it's also just, to out-wrestle him. Yeah which Barbarina also definitely is not going to do. 
Yeah. So, yeah, I, I got to take RDA to to make his pressure count for something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I will say that I think um, Barbarina should come in this fight and try to pressure. I mean, yeah. like, he should have spent the last eight weeks or however long he may have had for this camp just fixating on going forward, using his jab, because... He's a, I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but he's a sizable fighter. Barbara. Six foot 72. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I mean, he's significantly taller, at least, than RDA. Mm-hmm. Um, he can try to be imposing and try to walk up on RDA. Um, sure. Try to put the combinations together more assertively. And we know, especially from his welterweight run, but also from his fight with Tony Ferguson. Uh, and, and a couple others that RDA does, he can be pushed out of, he, he can be honestly a little too willing to accept his B game, mm-hmm. uh, which while not bad, technically is significantly less effective and less uh, inspiring of confidence than pressure. Yeah. I mean, for him. RDA, he's got a bit of the uh, Edson Barboza thing where, yeah, if you get him on the back foot, he will try to fight his way off of the back foot, but it's a profoundly uncomfortable experience for him all at all what all times doing yeah. it. And then he's actually like it's a little Ross Pearson-y too. Like he's kind of actually okay enough off the back foot. He's not he's not like getting cooked there. Yeah. He can move around all right. He's got a jab. He he's, his kick works from that kicking game works from that distance. He has some reactive shots. He has enough options there. That I think sometimes he doesn't have like the urgency even. Yeah. To or you know, it doesn't feel like the the urgency doesn't outweigh the discomfort that he's feeling with whatever is causing him to back up in the first place. Um so if I'm Barbarino, yeah. like that's that's my shot. Like you go in there, you put the pressure on RDA, you do not let him come forward. And maybe, I mean, RDA is an old man too. Mm-hmm. Maybe you get a crazy fight where something happens. Maybe you rely on the fact that, like all MMA lab fighters, you can be taken down, but you're actually pretty damn tough for most people to hold down. Mm-hmm. And you just say, well, if you're going to take me down, you do it off the back foot. I'm going to keep you uncomfortable. So there's a game plan here, I think, that could kind of work for sure. Robert right now. But, but, you know, RDA is probably going to pressure him because Robbie Lawler was able to do it easily. Yeah. And, and RDA then does whatever he feels like when, as long as he's pressuring. Yep. And he just... Barbarina gets hurt a lot these, you know, and yeah, like, yeah. I I can trust that if if RDA hurts him and Barbarina's firing back and being slicker than RDA just takes him down or just just clinches him and holds him against yep. the cage. And Whatever. he's always been a slow slowish starter anyway. Yeah. No. He just doesn't have to settle for having the same prolonged exchange over and over and over again. Right the way that Lawler has built himself into at this point. Yeah, exactly. Odds on the bout. RDA is a sizable favorite. Opened at minus 325. It's currently at minus 559. Barbarine opened at plus 275. It's currently at plus 402. I'm um, I'm a little shocked as after that yeah. Robbie Lawler fight that people are yeah. feeling that way, but I'm also not entirely sure that's wrong. No, yeah, same. But I did. I expected a win over Robbie Lawler would have swung the sort of the betters' uh, opinion a little more. Mm-hmm. 
All right. That brings us to a flyweight bout. Matthews Nicolau, Matt Schnell, and... Um, it's a fun booking. This is a very fun booking. And what it, Matt Schnell fights aren't fun these days. Yeah. He oh, really has... He, he has thrown caution. He is a fighter that should be cautious, who is absolutely not. He's lost his mind. Yes. I don't even know if he should be cautious anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even, no one even knocks him out anymore. Uh, I mean, granted, Pantoja um, wasn't all that long ago. Yeah, I mean, and he did just get subbed out by Brandon Royval. Yeah, yeah. But... But, you know, I, sometimes I know. it works. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, like we talk about the, how aggression is one of is like if you're looking at what's going to make a good fighter over the long term and, and you're starting out with a really raw young prospect. Yeah. There's a reason that aggression is key because you can't really learn it and you you don't want fighters to unlearn it. No, well, you might like you. You might like them to temper it. Sure, tempering it is one thing, but you don't. You want them to always have it in them to push themselves. Yeah, I think Matchnell himself would like to temper it, honestly, based yeah. on what he he's. I mean, he he also says some like psycho macho shit. Sure, but he also routinely is like that was not the game plan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the thing, you know, like he is he has consistently become a technically better fighter over his career and the fact that he's still a wild man gives him a lot of chances in a lot of fights. Mhm. And yeah, I just have to keep asking the same questions of him that I feel like I'm always asking, which sure. is like can he survive getting hurt really bad by Matthews Nicolau? Cuz Yeah, I mean to his um to his advantage here is the fact that Nicolau hardly finishes anyone. True. He yeah. hardly knocks anyone out. Um, he does tend to hurt people, though. Yeah. He, he does not a... fight at a, He does not push a high pace, and yeah, because he doesn't push a high pace, and because he's so dedicated to the counter, you know, it, it's hard to one shot kill anybody at the flyweight division. Yeah, uh, he's got perfectly respectable power. He mm-hmm. is an accurate, sharp counter puncher. Definitely his A game. But yeah, he doesn't. Uh, fight at a high pace for flyweight standards, and he and he also, um, I just don't think he really like goes for the kill that hard anyway. Even when he yeah. has someone hurt, maybe a, a burst. He, he is and the then, kind of fighter who he, he has taken to heart the idea that you throw the fight, you throw the strikes accurately and with precision, you know, accurately and with precision, but a- accurately and with intention. Mm-hmm. And the knockout will happen as the result. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you let the win manifest itself. Yeah, exactly. You just do the things. It's it's discipline, is what it is. It is discipline. And and sometimes people can be a little too rigid. But it, honestly, yeah. Matthews Nicklaus is a very good fighter. Yeah, it's working for him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't really see how Matchnell beats him. <laughs> to be yeah, honest. I mean the, the way to, for him to to win would be to make it a foot race of volume and hope that he doesn't sure. get hurt once. The problem there is that when Nicolau is being, when someone's trying to overwhelm him, like RDA against Barberini, he also has other options. Uh-huh. Nicolau is a perfectly willing wrestler. Um, and um, yeah, Matchnell's dangerous off his back. Nicolau's never been submitted by somebody from their guard. He's, He's a solid top. 
Yeah, he's a solid top position grappler. He times his takedowns well, and Schnell is easy to take down and plays guard too much. Yeah. Um, Schnell, I mean, Nikolau can be taken down and held down himself a bit. Sure. He, he, you know, his his own takedown defense and bottom game are not any kind of, like, unbreakable combo. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it, it it's not, you know... I, and for Schnell's part too, I don't expect him to get a lot of takedowns. His his posture and his yeah his shoot game, his wrestling game is not really built to easily succeed in taking people to the mat. No, there's a reason that he's one of the only fighters who has one of the coolest submission combos of jumping on a guillotine and then wrapping somebody into a triangle off the guillotine. Mm-hmm. which is awesome, but it's all, that's all like your opponent is doing the aggressive work for you mm-hmm. as a, as a grappling combination. Yeah. I, I see this as, as basically Schnell versus a slightly more varied and more consistent Tyson Nam. Mm-hmm. And that was a fun fight mm-hmm. in which Matt Schnell definitely competed. But uh, it's not a, a matchup I would ever give him more than, like, a 40% chance to win. Yeah. And, I mean, like, you know, you, even the mess, even messier fighters like Sumu Darji, um, yeah, like, that fight was very close before Schnell got that win. You know, he he will go. He, st- he he may not be getting knocked out so much anymore, but he still will get hurt all the time. Yeah, his his uh, his wild man aggression just kind of demands it. And yeah, I mean, I think honestly, like he he got hurt not at all against Nam. Yeah, because that was Matt Schnell being disciplined. Sure. He was he was really tight. He he kept his feet moving. Like we know he can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's improved vastly technically. Uh, 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 his technique has improved vastly, rather. Yeah. Since the early days, but uh, when he's brawling, then like whatever is wrong with his chin, getting into a situation where you're just not going to see all the shots coming. Yeah. Is, is a surefire way to to find out that your chin still isn't that great. It also probably it might not help in this case too that Nikolau will almost certainly be on the back foot letting Schnell pressure mm-hmm. because it's really when he's pressuring and right. when he's deciding to bite down and go first that he's in his most danger. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nikolau is very much a cir- back you know back foot circle out counter puncher. So. Yeah, I'm I'm going to go with uh, Nikolau here as well. Yeah, I think you got to. It should be a fun yeah. fight. I mean, it's a, it's a, yeah. a a really solid dynamic for an entertaining fight. I mean, yeah. If Schnell goes forward and he puts a lot of pressure on Nikolau and he throws fast, sharp punches and strikes and, you know, any counters any takedowns with fun grappling, uh, aggressive grappling, then it'll be fun. And mm-hmm. it's It'll put a good pace out for Nikolau to try to have to manage. So I'm interested. Yeah. 
it's nothing I love better than aggressive wild man versus counterpuncher. Mm-hmm. I, sh- I should say, I mean, it's possible that Schnell does the disciplined thing here. Again, he's he's capable. Yeah, I, I think if I'm remembering that Tyson Nam fight, Nam did a lot of the pressuring in Correct. that. Yeah, which is like I say, I think that will let that let Schnell be more disciplined. I think because he has somebody walking onto his strikes all the time. Whereas Nikolai was just going to make Schnell be the one to come forward. And Schnell will not turn that opportunity down. Yeah. Something in Schnell's brain. He's <laughs> like, yeah. oh, he's a coward. Get yeah. Him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when a guy isn't just running after him. <laughs> the most note, like I, th- I think for me, the most notable way that this fight could just be a win is just if Nikolai can't hurt Schnell badly enough to overcome Schnell, you know, yeah. throwing half again as many strikes as he does. That's possible. It is possible. Uh, Nikolai opened at minus 225. It's currently at minus 393. Schnell opened at plus 190. It's currently up at plus 301. Yeah, I mean, I get it. Nikolai was, he doesn't make, he does not give a lot away to opponents. So it's hard to, uh, you know, really be like, oh, he's going to lose here to match Schnell. But, Schnell is dangerous, and Nikolai has been knocked out by Dustin Ortiz and Pedro Nobre. It does not take mm-hmm. the world's most dynamic flyweights to no to put Nic- to beat Nikolai. You know, even uh, Delano Lopez on the Ultimate Fighter Brazil beat him too. So, mm-hmm. and, and you know, his good wins over people like Dvorak and. Chop are, uh, you know, they're not the most, he's not the most decisive winner in the world. Mm-hmm. He keeps, he doesn't throw a lot. So he's going to, fights are going to stay close for him. He's, he's a Sun esque Yes. Where you really have to look at the breadth of all of his victories to be like, you know, wow, this guy's pretty good. Because if you remember any one specific fight, you're like, yeah, it was kind of a sticky fight where he did just enough. Yeah, it's a very interesting psychological contrast. This fight. Yeah, one guy, it's like, why don't you do just a just an inkling more sometimes? The other guy, it's like, no, stop, Matt, yeah, stop. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you instantly become like Carmelo Soprano and, and screaming at Tony to stop fighting Bobby. Like, ah! you become the shrieking girlfriend <laughs> the moment you see Matt Schnell start fighting. Uh... You say you like you say you say. Yeah, I've seen you. Okay, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah not me. It's not you. I don't shriek. Did you hear that shriek I just did? I was clearly unpracticed. Yeah, yeah, no, that was definitely not a man trying to hold back what a good shrieker he is, so everybody wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Cincinnati's best shrieker. Yeah, voted number one by Cincinnati Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, right. Uh, now imagining a magazine that rusts. <laughs> <laughs> you guys must have one of those, right? Doesn't every city have like some yeah, yeah. local magazine, that yeah. some glossy that is just named the city? Uh-huh. I'm sure yeah. we do. All right. That brings us to a heavyweight bout. Tied to Ivasa, Sergei Pavlovich. And, um... Mm-hmm. How good is Pavlovich? Yeah. And how... Yeah. 
Because the thing with Pavlovich is that, like, his boxing is more creative. His striking is more creative than it is technical. It's creative. It's it's intuitive. I mean, yeah, the guy sees openings. He's he's accurate. Yeah. Uh, at least before he starts, like you know, milling and, mm-hmm, and swinging mm-hmm. for the finish. Um, but it's one of those things. Like the the picture of him in my mind as a striker is like, oh yeah, he goes out there, he throws a nice clean. It's it's a bit more Walt Harris like, you know, where I'm thinking like, oh, clean, sharp, fast punches, and then I go watch him yeah. fight again, and I'm like. <laughs> There's a lot of just sort of swinging from the shoulder and picking, having the speed is not, you know, the speed's still there, but a lot of what happens, a lot of success Pavlovich has had striking is just him picking the right moment to throw. Yeah, exactly. And and it's, uh, it it helps that he's like built like Donkey Kong. He has really long arms. Yeah. Um, so he's also just outranging a lot of guys. Mm hmm. Phil basic Phil said I think that he's like uh he's like um a, a more athletic Alexi Alinek but just the striking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Didn't Pavlovich come in and we were like oh he's got some kind of wrestling he's got, background. He's got a Greco-Roman background which I is I thought like that's what it was. The least translatable uh grappling. Why is that so? You'd, you'd think it would translate like Clinch fighting is not nothing in MMA. It happens all no, the time. Yeah, I mean I there there is a it, it it's like having a judo background. You see it in fights, and it does make a difference. Sure, but it is not. There's no there's no path for it to end a fight, and there's that's no, true. There's no path for it to create control that is decisively not 50 50 that's true i was going to push back on that comparison and then i thought yes there are some star judoka yeah i can think of but the number of fighters i have seen who have some kind of judo credentials and it doesn't really show up that often yeah is is actually pretty long yeah you get guys like abdul razak al hassan who oh was like God. a national team judoka. For <laughs> right. <Tom>. Yes. <laughs> and every now and then you see something out of the clinch for him and, or, you know, some moment in a tie where like, Oh yeah, there it is. Oh. Mm-hmm. And then the rest yeah. of the time you're like, okay, yeah, that just doesn't really lead to anything. Yeah. Dan and, Henderson was Greco Roman guy. Obviously Dan Henderson, the one yeah. thing we know him for most in MMA is his wrestling. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, uh, yeah, it, it was, he for there was a time when he was decision Dan. That yeah, but that was more because of a couple of really questionable decisions, I think, than it was. Uh... No, it was because he was a grinder. It was like his Dan Henderson of the Pride era kind of thing. Like he would throw and land the occasional big bomb. Yeah, there, there was some grind to. I his. thought it was more that he kept robbing people. He robbed Ninja Hua. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's also just good, but that's also the ro- the feeling of robbery was because it wasn't fun. <laughs> well, true. Yeah, I've been robbed of my time. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the point is Pavlovich has no discernible wrestling game that has yet to really show up in any of yeah. his MMA fights. Yeah. He's just, uh, again, a creative and intuitive, but mostly like one and done kind of awkward striker. Yeah. 
one ones, one twos, and picks really good spots. And as otherwise, there's not a lot going on, which is going to fit really well into what Tai Tuivasa wants to do. Right. Like it's going to make for the fight Tuivasa wants to have. Yeah. Um, because Tuivasa is very much very you know pick good spots instinctual striker like Pavlovich in that way he's a tighter cleaner puncher mm-hmm. um and he kicks sometimes and he kicks sometimes and otherwise yeah he want they both want to have that even open edge of range striking exchange where Neither guy is really going to pressure. Neither guy is really going to, you know, step back and get on the back foot and circle away. They're just going to pick their spots. I think I'm going to pick Tai Tuivasa in that fight. Mm -hmm. Just because I have seen him survive so many difficult versions of that fight. And Pavlovich... I mean, he, to his credit, he hasn't really had to survive a lot of difficult versions of that fight. But he didn't against Alistair Overeem. And I think he... I, I don't get the feeling that he's... If it turns into both men getting hurt, I have less co- confidence in him being comfortable in that. And it's just a gut feeling. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I kind of get that. Um, it's crazy because Pavlovich has, I mean, he's had an incredibly successful career. Yeah. Right. I, I got nothing. You know, if he goes out there and smokes Tai Tuivasa, I will be totally unsurprised. We saw, you know, especially if he can throw, if he can really make his reach count for him. Because, mm-hmm. like, it, you know, there, Tuivasa, to his credit, was, uh, much he fought a much better fight against Cyril Gaon than like Derek Lewis did. You know, he was able to actually get inside and land his shots. Yeah. But Gaon just being, you know, in in that similar way, Gaon having range tools did a lot to flummox Tuivasa. Sure. And that could, you know, there Pavlovich has the potential for that. He's got as Now's say, the time, Sergey. You have power. You have reach. Hit the body, for like, God's sake! Hit the body. Uh, in terms of height and reach, Tuivasa is shorter and has much, much shorter arms than Kevin Holland. It's <laughs> really funny. <laughs> Heavyweight is so strange. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Pavlovich is huge. He's powerful. He's yeah. He's clearly yeah. got a knack for but striking. He, yeah. But even in that Cyril Khan fight, Tuivasa, like, you give him an open space equal exchange opportunity, and he made mm-hmm. stuff happen. Like, yeah. he, he made that fight wild for a minute. And that's the other thing, is that uh, even when Pavlovich does succeed in stinging his opponents, his form, what form there is, completely falls yes. apart when he's going for the finish. It really, really falls apart. And there. that Cyril Gaon fight is not the only time that Tuivasa has come back from the brink to nail somebody in that moment of, of yep. elation and excitement when they think they're about to win. 
You, that was Derek Lewis. I mean, we said that Derek Lewis fight would be a car crash, and we were just picking who would come out with the knockout blow at the end of both men being hurt, and it was Julian yeah. Vasa. Lewis and uh, Greg Hardy as well. Greg Hardy, too, yeah. It's kind of a thing of his yep. to, uh, to his get head. hurt and then and, wreck somebody. Yeah, you can tell that his punching form has been really well-schooled into him right. because when he's getting hurt, he can uncork a perfect hook. Yeah. That will take somebody out. Yeah. He's got the instinct and he throws it well. And it, it just, the opponent just doesn't see it coming in that moment. Yep. So uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Tuivasa, but him losing this, him losing any top flight heavyweight bout is never going to be a surprise. Yeah. You know, if, if, if Pavlovich comes out and like they clinch up and Pavlovich hits a little trip and gets Tuivasa to the mat. I'd like to see it. I'd love to see it. Pavlovich wrestling. I mean, just a little more depth. And I'd be honestly very interested in Pavlovich as a contender. Yep. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm with you all the way. And I'm also picking Tuvasa, more of a known quantity. I trust him to get into trouble and still be dangerous. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe that's the case with Pavlovich, but I just don't know. Yep. I mean, yeah, I I have to. I have to assume that both men are going to hurt each other. And yeah. If they don't, it's probably more like I guess if they don't, it's probably more likely that Pavlovich is the guy who lands first and cleaner because he's got the reach and they both have good good timing and a good eye for opportunity. I think that's true. I, I also think this is one of those fights where uh, Tuvasa is going to come in looking to absolutely blast Pavlovich's legs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at least in the early going before he gets hit and forgets. Yeah. Um. And uh, Pavlovich does have the reach and it, and he's got the timing, but it's like a he's a sniper. I mean, mm-hmm. an awkward, cumbersome sniper. Um, but he is not a guy who is going like Cyril Gaon, who's going to sit on that reach. Yeah. And uh, pick an opponent apart from there. So I, I think the the long range, while, yes, he, he does have that. And it's it's an advantage you can leverage against Trivasa. He He's not going to you know, what I mean, it's not a. Yeah. It's not a um, a passive advantage for him in the way that it was for a guy like Gone. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm taking two awesome. Pavlovich opened at minus one fifteen, dropped to minus one forty four, and is currently down at minus two fifteen. Tuivasa opened at plus minus one hundred five, and is currently up at plus one seventy three. So odds only getting longer on Tuivasa. Um, mm-hmm. I get it; he's very beatable. If somebody's going to get hurt first in this fight, I think it'll probably be him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like we we both have been saying I have more I have more faith that if both men are going to get hurt, that Tuivasa is going to be the one that comes out on top. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, that takes us to a middleweight bout: Jack Hermanson against Roman Delidzi, your boy, the Chess King. <laughs> Lover of fine films. <laughs> Is the pianist good? I haven't seen it. You know, I haven't seen it either. But I'm <laughs> like you. Fraud. I'm just saying, you fraud. You were like, oh, good choices. You. We all know the only one we actually cared about was Totoro. I, yeah, well, no, yeah. I'm just saying that, like, our producer says yes, but our producer likes Marvel movies. 
The okay, well, the all pianist the, is essentially a Marvel movie. We're, we're as not. Far as I'm <laughs> yes, a, a Marvel movie for. <laughs> okay, no, I'm not gonna. Well, and I'm not gonna make any jokes about, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't make any. It's the the expand the expanded World War Two universe. <laughs> oh goodness, that's a terrible. I'm glad you found your way there, but I was also just enjoying your your pain and waffling. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Um. No, like it, it, it's like. I know. say something about these humanizing athletes answers that Roman Dulidze gave. Yeah. The man was asked his favorite food. Easiest I question on earth. He gave every, all, all of the non-answers on Four that. Four answers, three of which were categories of food. Yeah. Meat, bread, and cheese. Yeah, but you know what? There's a hundred kinds of meat. There's 10,000 kinds of bread, and there's more kinds of cheese than both of the previous two combined. And then the other one was potatoes which is a single food so flexible it may as well be a category i you know but it's without like come on we the man's eaten here and that's good food if you I, ask me my favorite food and i say vegetables you're gonna be like so, i know i'm a, gonna know you're lying <laughs> <laughs> i do like vegetables god damn it i just i eat them with lots of stuff that's bad for me <laughs> i love vegetables um. Anyway, I'm just saying. No, I mean honestly, if I'm honest, I when you sent that, I felt a a, a flash of such white hot rage <laughs> that even in the moment, even in the moment, I knew was the last the death throw of my pointless, meaningless resentment for this man. Yeah. Yeah, But I was like, this is the final stage of me finding out, as so often happens, uh, as I assume will someday happen with you, Zane, yeah. that the people I hate the most turn out to be good friends. Yeah. You know? I'm, I'm going to come around on you one of these days. We're going to get there <laughs> <laughs> any day now. Um, and, and even now, I just don't, I don't feel that much hatred towards Roman Delidze in my heart. So it worked. You know, the guy likes chess and he likes nature. I suppose that is enough for me. Yeah, yeah. You know. Anyway, he's going to lose to Jack Hermanson. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> I wish I could enjoy saying that more than I did just then, but um, I still don't think he's very good. Yeah. <laughs> Our producer points out he also likes stealing wives. Yeah, who doesn't? Yeah, you know. I steal wives all the time, or at least I would if I was remotely capable. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Roman Delidze is like, he's he's very much like, I, there's a ton of empty space, no connective tissue whatsoever to his striking. He looks like he's got some power, but he's um, just like, not really sure how to put the pieces together. Yeah, I mean, his I, I think he is beginning to find ways to fight in the UFC more like he did when he was on the regionals. Yeah. Which is to say that I think he's also finding, especially at middleweight that like, Oh wow, I'm still bigger and stronger and faster than a lot of these guys that I'm going to fight. 
so I can just do wild, dumb stuff and it'll work. What the hell? The guy, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> the guy who named his favorite foods as meat, bread, and cheese. How did I never know his nickname is The Caucasian? <laughs> How vague can you be? Uh, He's from one of like 900 Caucasian countries. <laughs> what the hell is wrong with this guy? <laughs> but he, you know, like he's been getting more dangerous. It, it, you're there's still not connective tissue to any of it. Yeah, but like it helps that he's huge. Yeah, he's tough. Uh, he seems to have some just innate. Um, unwarranted confidence, and I just don't think any of this is enough. I mean, no. Sometimes being huge and strong is is. is I mean, it has frequently been a problem for Hermanson, but there usually has to be something else to back it up. Yeah, and I also especially think that g- given Hermanson's last fight against Chris Curtis, mm-hmm. um, that was a shade of Hermanson I haven't seen in far too long that I was very happy to see return. No, because this guy arrived in the UFC. Yes, he, he was, he was out there wrestling people and beating them from top position and, and whatnot, but he was mostly a boxer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he kind of seemed to lose his, I don't know, lose his confidence in that or focus more on the grappling. And it was just easier to sort of take him out of his element and turn him into, then he became a little more of like a brawler. Yeah. And then suddenly it's like, oh, he's like, he somehow worked his way around from the other side back to being a boxer. Mm-hmm. He looked great. Yeah. And I think even if he doesn't want to actually tangle with the size and strength of Delidze, which I still think he could outgrapple him. Um, but even if he doesn't want to, he could probably just box him up. Yeah. I mean, the, what we thought occurred, I mean, to, to be fair, Curtis is a world shorter than absolutely Delize and smaller. Like that'll that'll make a man's uh, uh, confidence balloon like nothing else. Yeah, he's four inches short. Although he only has a one inch less of reach than Delize. Yeah, but that's like seventy percent shoulders. Yeah. Shoulders. Um. It. But yeah, I mean, what we saw out of Hermanson was just a really good, consistent, I've got my jab going, everything else can flow off of it performance, which is, that is who the man was when he he first got here. And it's great to see. And uh, yeah, Delidze can offer single moments of power, but what, you know, Hermanson, beating Hermanson, it... You know, sure, Jared Cannonier was able to just kind of scare. That would be the only thing. Is it right in the past, guys? You know, somebody like Jared Cannonier was able to just scare Hermanson off. Yeah. Um, and Cesar Fajera was as well. I can't even remember the Tiago Santos fight, but I have to imagine that that was. I think actually Hermanson was doing pretty. That's right. He was doing pretty good in that, and then he got caught like mm-hmm. rushing in, and then got caught again on the retreat or something. I think part of it, though, was honestly that, like, I don't know what happened, what the real cause was that turned Hermanson into a guy who, who thought wrestling and grappling were yeah. his his thing. Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm again clearly he's 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 got some skills there. Yeah, but I, I think what we saw in fights like the Cannoneer one was like this is a guy who thought his way to win was to wrestle. 
Yeah. He'd already convinced himself it was too dangerous to strike with Cannoneer. Um, and then it, so when he bounced off Cannoneer, yeah, and he was able to stuff those takedowns. It was like, oh, it's over. I'm gonna yeah. lose. And then he just panicked. Yeah, I would love to see Hermanson go into one of those fights and just have it as an option. Because mm-hmm. there's absolutely Jack Hermanson uh, removed of any insecurities or whatever. Te- Skill wise, he could outbox Jared Cannonier all day. Yeah. Um. Beyond that, though, it's really just. He, you know, Hermanson still doesn't, he doesn't, he's another fighter. Like if we're talking uh, about Nicolau or RDA, mm-hmm. Hermanson just doesn't, he doesn't leave a lot on the table for you to take from him. Right. You know, he's busy, he's consistent, he goes into every round and fights his fight every round. Yeah. And it's rare that you ever see Hermanson go out and make a horrible error to give a fight away. Yeah. And uh, that still feels like what Dalidzi needs. Yes. You know, that that knee bar, like Chris, or, uh, not Chris Chris, but um, Phil Hawes. Phil Hawes was having exactly the kind of fight you would think Phil Hawes would win against Roman Dalidzi until he got put in that knee bar, which didn't even, like, force him to tap. He just athleted his way out of it a little too. Yeah, and he hurt himself. And at that point, Delidze could start taking over. Uh, against Kyle Daukaus, Delidze, you know, Daukaus, we've talked a lot, is like an aggressive fighter who has to press all kinds of parts of the fight and basically just threw himself against a way, a way stronger athlete who could then wreck him. Yep. Um, but Hermanson isn't going to do that. Like, Hermanson will, if you just give him the chance to work from range, he'll work from range. If you give him a chance to lean on one aspect of his game and make it work, he can do that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I got to take Hermanson here. Uh, I don't think that, I think this will be a a pushback point for Delidzi, but I, I won't be surprised if Delidzi just keeps slowly getting better just because he's, he's a good big athlete who has a lot, you know, who can gain a lot just through time and comfort. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So yep. I, I don't have much to add. I, I'm, I'm with you all the way. Odds on the bout. Roman Delidzi is the underdog opened at plus 130, dropped up and down, or bumped up and down to plus 123, and is currently at plus 157. So those odds getting just a little wider. Hermanson opened at minus 150, got up as high as minus 141, is currently down at minus 192. Makes sense. Could even get a little wider, you know? Hermanson's one of those guys that, because he doesn't usually win that big, you know, it's very much a, like, oh, he fought a good, you know, solid bounce-back points-winning performance against Chris Curtis and Edmund Shabazian and uh, Jacare you don't really think of him as like a fighter who can just, who wish should be a decisive favorite, mm-hmm. but it would be a pretty big, it'd be a pretty big win. It'd be a pretty big step up and big victory for Delizzi to walk in there and beat him. I think it would be huge. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Our a very credible, very credible middleweight. Yep. 
All right. That brings us to another middleweight bout. Eric Anders, Kyle Daukaus. And so we were just talking about Daukaus and the problem that he ran into with Roman Delidzi. Mm-hmm. And man, does that make this hard, this fight hard to predict? How is he going to lose to Eric Anders? Come on, I'm, dude. You should be able to you should be able to beat this guy, but I'm not sure he's going to. Yeah, he really should be able to. Like, cause we even saw like, you know, one of our favorite fighters, Jin Young Park, mm-hmm. go out there and be half Anders' size and half his athletic ability and just scrape out a win based on fighting hard, you know? putting the strikes out there, getting into exchanges and being fearless, gutting out a hard win. Anders is cumbersome. He's not particularly high output. He's had a couple outlier fights. He's trying. He knows what his problems are. He's trying to fix them. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. But it, the fact that he's just not a very coordinated striker is a constant problem where, yeah, He's not. He's gotten to the point now where he can throw two strikes at a time, but it took a long time to get to that point. Yeah, and I don't think he's. Yeah, I just don't think he's that confident taking a lead or yeah. stepping into risk. And I think the one the one time he really really went for it, uh, taught him the wrong lesson against Thiago mm-hmm. Santos because he yeah. destroyed himself doing it. Yeah, not even getting hurt. He just burned all of his energy. Yeah. And the thing is, is that Daukaus, though, is, he's going to run out there. He's going to throw himself onto Anderson. Or yes. Anders. Yes. He will just absolutely slam himself into Anders' hips, trying to get a takedown mm. and bullying, trying to bully him the way he did Jamie Pickett. This is getting very hot. Yeah. He's going to slam himself into Anders' hips. Goodness me. Oh, yes. <laughs> anyway. Um, and that, like, the thing, because the thing is, is that Anders is, he's hard to, like, horse. He, I mean, he's a physical force. He's sure. hard to horse around mm-hmm. and to bully. And Daukaus needs to bully people. He should be able to just put out enough offense even still to win. But the only two wins that Doc House has in the UFC are against somebody way slower than him in Dustin Stoltzfus Mm -hmm. and way less confident than him in Jamie Pickett. And I don't think that, I mean, there, you know, there is some confidence problems with Anders, but they aren't the kind of problems that, like, I don't think they're the exact problems that Daukaus being a bully is going to no. give rise to. No, I don't think so. I don't think, I don't think, I don't think Daukaus really is capable of bullying a guy like Anders. I mean, I think that's often yeah. his problem. I mean, he, exactly. he, he ran into the same thing with Phil Hawes. You can bully yeah. Phil Hawes. If you're like strong enough, yeah, and he wasn't, yeah, you know, it was the fact that he had that instinct, um, 
whether it's a bullying thing or not, I mean, it, it may it may also just be this. He's just one of these MMA native guys. Yeah. Who has just been training from day one that, yeah, like you hit your clean punches and then you transition to your shot and you he's yeah. always trying to cycle in one thing to the other. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's it's really like a, a, a problem, a specific style problem that only appears in MMA. Yep. Or like you can't actually stick to the thing that's winning you the fight because you you have to you don't have enough depth really or yeah. you don't have enough confidence that the amount of depth you have there will work because in your mind the idea is to is to transition because god otherwise like jung young park christoph yatko and elias theodoru yeah all rest, rest in peace by the way yeah rest in peace no kidding that's a terrible tragedy yeah um but all beat Eric Anders by just sticking to like, yeah, just throw a little more, not even a lot more, mm-hmm. just throw more than him. Mm-hmm. And oh, no. he's Dawkins is going to go in there like he's Tiago Santos. <laughs> yeah, I think I got to pick Anders. I, I'm with you. I don't want to, but I need to see Dockhouse go out. Like, you know, even that fight, like, he, that potential win he could have had over Kevin Holland yep. was literally off of him slamming into Holland. Yep. Just, like... Just clanging their heads together. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I, I just think Anders here, this is just one of those matchups where just his baseline strength... Um, yeah, is going to be enough. Dawkins is just going to run into a wall. Yep, I agree. Anders is the underdog here. Opened at plus one ninety, dropped all the way down to plus one sixty three. Currently back up at plus one seventy nine. Dawkins opened at minus two twenty five, jumped all the way up to minus one ninety nine, and is back down at minus two twenty two. That's far too wide. Yeah. Really... Is just not, folks, he's not that reliable a fighter. I, yeah. I want to like him too, you know. I yeah, he's 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 good at all the things he wants to do. He's just yeah. doesn't he doesn't know it. Yeah, and he's just not a he's not a natural athlete. He's not, and no. so yeah. him running through all the various options in the in the world means that he's always giving opponents a chance to right. make their athleticism count. That's right, yeah. You know? And, uh, yeah, we'll see. I, he, there are ways. There, there, this fight is right there for him to win. So I'm not going to be, like, shocked if Dakas just goes out there and works a one-two and a jab and even even just works a single leg he doesn't get for a while to just slow Anders down and take the fight away from him. But... Anders wins his fair number of bouts too. You know, he he beat Gerald Mearshart and Darren Stewart and Tim Williams and Marcus Perez and Rafael Natal. Like being big and he beat Brendan Allen on the regional scene. Like being big and hard to control has been good for him in the past. 
All right. On that note, we're going to wrap up the main card. You can find me on Twitter at the Zane Simon. You can find Connor on Twitter at Boxing Bush. You can find both of us over at bloodyelbow.com. Give us a like and subscribe to our podcasts over on the Bloody Elbow Podcast Network on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those good places. And we will be back in one week's time for UFC 282. As always, the MMA Viva section is brought to you by uh, Chris Rini and his book, The Fine Art of Violence, which you can find over at chrisrini.com, C-H-R-I-S-R-I-N-I.com. Thanks everyone for tuning in. See you next time. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Bivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, guest podcasts, the Hey Not The Face podcast, and radio-style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow blog, and as always, on BloodyElbow.com. <laughs>